Thanks for checking us out here on a Tuesday. We've got plenty of football again for you. We said Monday's show is a little bit unique because we had the winning highlights and so many and so much good stuff in the post game. We gave you more football as far as a percentage than normal shows. And it'll be similar today, even though we'll break it up. We got some soccer to start off with. We also have some news from a couple other sports at the end of this segment including women's golf in its final event of the fall. And then in our second block, we'll go back to football with some of the press conference clips from Jeff Scott, along with Donovan Jennings, part of that stellar offensive line, and Rashawn Yates from the defensive line. We'll also give you some full highlight reels of what made certain members of both the football and the women's soccer team honored by the conference on Monday, as it always has its weekly honors. We'll begin, as I said, with women's soccer and we go back to Thursday night and the Bulls beat Cincinnati and we touched on it yesterday we'll expound on it a little bit more here today as far as the outlook for the Bulls going into their last game of the regular season but before we do that let's relive what made Sidney Nacello the offensive player of the week the full sequences for her first and second goals that she scored to give the Bulls again their first and only two-goal lead of the year to this point. Short corner by LeBlick to Nacello, who works away over to the left side. Just took a little bit of a flop, and is that a penalty? It is. Wow, Sidney Nacello, a stealth penalty kick earned. And I got to tell you, Cincinnati, for the year, has only had one penalty kick taken and four given. And I watched the replay of the first goal by SMU. That was kind of a weak call. It was outside the air. There was no danger. In other words, this one technically was in the area, and yes, technically Sidney Nacello was getting in to the box, but she was right on the fridge, and now she will try and put the Bulls up here with 25 minutes and 39 seconds left in the first half. She has eight goals, three on penalty kicks, and looking for another here for USF. Anna Rexford, the sophomore, will try and stop her. Clapping her hands, trying to disrupt Nacello. Again, the wind is in her face. We'll see if she keeps it low as a result. There's the windup, and there's a low shot and a goal for USF. Beautiful job there by Cindy Nacello. Her ninth goal of the season, fourth from the spot. And the Bulls have a 1-0 lead. 2019 fall, made the Sweet 16 for the first time in school history. And you look at... Players like Sidney Nacello, this is their chance in fate. Speaking of a steal and a shot, and a goal! That was beautiful! Sidney Nacello lined it up. You knew she was going to take the shot. She looked up, saw the right corner of the goal was available, but there was a lot of work to do. And it wasn't the wind. The wind has died down. That was all. Sid the kid, give her two, give her ten for the year. Make it 2-0 Bulls. Just past seven minutes gone here in the second half. He's just about to say how Nacello is a player who's going for her last hurrah. And if she wants to get on a run where she's starting to make those types of shots, and by the way, with her left foot, not her strongest foot, curls it inside the right post. She is amazing and that was some shot by Sidney Nacello. That was not an easy goal. It was a steal and you knew she was going to unleash but definitely had some work to do as they say. A footnote to that first goal and even the Bulls might have acknowledged this a little bit after the match. 
she actually was outside of the penalty box. And I'm definitely not going to categorize Sydney Nicello as a flopper because she's not. But she is just a professional foul taker. And oh, by the way, she will be a professional pretty soon after her collegiate career is over. She is truly special. And again, the Offensive Player of the Week in the American Athletic Conference. If you look around the other games, she had some competition from UCF. And as said, we'd get into sort of the outlook for the Bulls going into the last night of the regular season, which is two nights away. We'll do that, and we'll not forget the nights. But before we do that, here's a little bit from after the match when Coach Denise Schulte-Brown was asked about sort of Sydney's expanded role this season, her last with the Bulls. You know, we tried to diversify her role so that it makes sense against the opponent and, you know, where we can maximize her. So, you know, she's incredible at unlocking pressure. Of course, she can be dangerous in the final third. Um, but her defensive transition is what we're really proud of the last couple games. I mean, her contribution to the defending part of the game has increased, and that helps us a lot. Certainly something I noticed at the last part of that Cincinnati game when the Bearcats were trying to get back into it before the Bulls put it away. You know, she is listed as a junior. That's almost hopeful on the school website by eligibility she is, but I have a feeling, again, she'll be turning pro after this season. Hope I'm wrong, but now with 10 goals this year it's a career high her previous was six in her last season and again that was in a shortened season she has 23 goals on her career now as far as the Bulls outlook going into the last night of the season you got nine teams in the conference top six make the conference tournament East Carolina is done because you can't have nine teams playing each other there's got to be an odd team out but they secured a spot in the conference tournament with a really notable result on Sunday beating Memphis, now the Tigers, once 10-1-1 not too long ago, have lost three in a row, including the Bulls beating them in there. So that win by East Carolina and the blowout win for UCF, I said don't forget about them when they were 0-3-1. That was wonderful, right? But I noted that they had played the top four teams at that point. Well, since then, they've won three in a row, and even before the last match of the regular season, UCF has already clinched a spot in the top six. The top six is set because, again, the Knights beat Temple. Temple's four points behind, can't catch him. Cincinnati, with the loss to Houston over the weekend, can't get into the top six, and neither can last place Tulsa. So in order, it's USF on 16 points, 5-1-1 one, one in conference play. The win against Cincinnati was their first non-overtime win in the league this year. SMU, which has the win over the Bulls head-to-head, is two points behind. At 14, they had no problem, the Mustangs, with their win against Tulsa on Sunday. Then there's Houston in third place at 13 points. Memphis is four points back, cannot catch the Bulls, and therefore cannot host the conference tournament two games ago. So basically this time last week, they were in line to be the host of the conference tournament, but obviously not anymore. And really, they have a key game, and this would probably benefit the Bulls. They probably think they have to win Thursday. They host SMU due to the Memphis Tigers to keep their NCAA at-large hopes alive. Then it's East Carolina in fifth place, done with 11 points. But clinching a spot in the top six, therefore the conference tournament. Finally, UCF in sixth, and again, securing the conference tournament bid. And They've kind of been in the same situation as the USF men. They know they're not going to get an at-large, but just get into the conference tournament. So you got to remember, UCF kind of has that going on right now, and the three teams that are eliminated are Temple, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. So on Sunday, that's Halloween, yes, the first round of the conference tournament, The third and the fourth seeds are at home playing against the sixth and the fifth. 
there's a small chance the Bulls could be playing. They'd have to lose to Temple and then have SMU and Houston both win, basically. But assuming that the Bulls are not playing until the conference tournament semifinals, that would be November the 4th, next Thursday, with the number one seed hosting. And yes, indeed, that certainly could be a War and I-4 matchup in Tampa. If the Bulls are the number one seed, I have a feeling UCF wins this week and climbs into the fifth spot. So they would have to go to the fourth seed and win, which certainly wouldn't be easy. But if it happens, yeah, you'd have that in the conference tournament semifinals. And then the conference finals are actually next Sunday. We'll, of course, sort it out even more specifically as far as this Thursday's matchups on Thursday's show. And on tomorrow's show, we'll get you set for the men's War on I-4, which is tomorrow night at 6, and yours truly will be making the drive to Orlando for the play-by-play call there. Speaking of play-by-play calls, there were quite a few of Jaron Mangum running the ball. He was not the offensive player of the week in the conference. That went to SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai, who threw for more than 400 yards. And, oh, yeah, the Mustangs are undefeated. But here's a nice, lengthy highlight reel of some of Bangum Mangum, I gave him that nickname, and finally, as you'll hear, mixed in here, some good commentary, not just play-by-play call, but Sam Barrington adopts that nickname, and he could freely share it along with everybody else listening. From the 25, first and 10, here's Jaron Mangum, and he's got a nice gain out to the 33-yard line. That's an eight-yard pickup, and it'll be second and short. Mangum coming in with 264 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns, second down and five on the USF 35-yard line. Scoreless, 6.50 to go in the first quarter. Brinkman moves to the right side now as the tight end, and they'll run that way with Mangum, cuts it inside and gets something out of nothing, and he's got a first down out past the 40-yard line. That play looked like it might get off the rails instead. Mangum got six and a Bulls first down. Right, Jaron Mangum also has great vision, and he's a very patient runner. He stretches the run out wide, and that was an outside stretch play, ran to the right side of the line of scrimmage, and he makes sure he stretches it so far and gives his offensive lineman the time to block for him, and he finds the open gap at the last minute. And now an interesting choice for the Bulls. Fourth and two from midfield, and all indications are they are going to go for it. Bulls fans remember all too well last week, the third and one, the fourth and one. They split McLean out both times and had the direct snap to Mangum. Mangum is the running back, but McLean is still in the quarterback position. Fourth and two. It's Mangum, and he's going to have to push the pile. And it looks like they're going to mark him right near the 48. This is going to be close, and it will depend on the spot. And we'll see if the Bulls got the two they needed or not. Something you don't see much anymore. I mean, how many times this year have we seen them actually bring the chains out for a measurement? Just hasn't happened much this year. So they're lining it up, and they got a first down by the length of a football. So the Bulls convert the fourth and two, and they'll keep the ball in Temple territory at the Owls' 48-yard line. So the Bulls with a run-based offense. That's perhaps not surprising. We told you about the Temple's success against the pass, ranked second in the conference, ninth in the nation. But the Bulls have exploited them on the ground so far. Second and seven. Here's Mangum again. He's got a big hole on the right side. He's got a first down inside the Temple 35-yard line. 
They'll mark it on the 34. That's 11 more for Mangum, who now has 53 yards in this first quarter. And here we go. Pitch to the right. It's Mangum. He's got the first down. He's heading for the end zone. So don't worry about the fumble. The question is, did he cross the plane with the ball or not? They say no, but it's a first down for the Bulls. First and goal from the one. So the Bulls have converted two fourth downs. They got a hurry here. Now they reset it. Play clock was down to two. They reset it. And here's Mangum, and he walks into the end zone. That's 11. Jaron Mangum, Bulls lead. They did a great job, Jim. They stuck to what worked for them, and they didn't get away. And Jaron Mangum carried this team all the way down the field. And he's turned into a really special player for this offense. USF has a history of offense that have done well. We saw one with the Cleveland Browns and Dearness Johnson the other night. And Jaron Mangum, if he can continue growing as a player and growing as a ball carrier, he's going to be a special player for this team for a very long time. Pitch to the left. Here's Mangum breaking a tackle, getting the first down to about the 37 of the Owls. Mangum broke a tackle near the line of scrimmage. They're going to give him the 36, which means 14 more, and it's a first and 10 for the Bulls. Yeah, we're just going to have to name him Bangum Mangum because that's what he's doing. Being up more than one score sure gives it a different feel. It does. The difference between last week and this week is USF has answered when hit with adversity, and they've answered resoundingly and with authority with the offensive line in the running game uh, doing the dirty work. And if they can continue to have this formula, uh, they're going to be a very effective offense because they are controlling the clock and controlling the game. And the Bulls with a first down at the 45, and now Mangum is the running back. He had 20 carries in the first half, none so far in this quarter. Yusef Terry in motion, and here is Mangum getting into the secondary, into Temple territory, 40-35, and down to about the 31-yard line. Another big run for Jaron Mangum, and the Bulls move the sticks again. Here's Mangum fighting to the goal line. Touchdown, USF. 12 for Jaron Mangum. Two tonight. And the Bulls have their biggest lead of the evening with 11 minutes to go. And they found how to get it done behind their ground game. And it's just a great job because this offensive line has responded so well. These guys have been the workhorses. Coming up on our next segment, you'll hear from one of the heralded members of the offensive line, Donovan Jennings. Thought you'd enjoy those expanded highlights. And again, Jaron Mangum, one of the members of the weekly honor roll. Basically, if you're not Offensive Player of the Week, weekly honor roll means you were second team and not that far behind. On that honor roll as well for making all of his kicks. Remember, the botched field goal attempt doesn't include an actual kick attempt. And how about this lengthy one, Spencer Schrader followed by some outstanding commentary from Coach Scott on the radio show Monday. So this is going to be a long one, either 52 or 53, depending on where they put it. Schrader's long this year is 49. Remember, Temple blocks kicks, 20 of them, since 2014. So he's got to get some air under this long attempt. It's up and away. It has the distance, and it's good. Spencer Schrader with a big kick for the Bulls, and USF leads it 20 to 14. Longest field goal of the season for Spencer Schrader, 
who is now a perfect nine for nine on the season. It's officially 52 yards. You know, Spencer uh, is very talented. When I got here last year, coming in, trying to evaluate your, your roster and your team, you know, I've been fortunate at my previous uh, school to be around some good kickers. And, and, and I got here in the first week and, and watching spring practice and, and fall camp the next uh, year. I said, man, this guy has got one of the most talented legs that I've ever seen. I mean, he has got a lot of power in his leg and also uh, accurate. And I know, you know, kind of early in his career, he, he kind of had to work through some of that. But uh, I'm not surprised at all uh, because this is what we see in practice. I mean, he is – He's, he's, he's over 95% in practice, and that's backing up into the 50-yard range. And so this guy just has a, a, a tremendous combination of a strong leg, accurate leg. The ball also gets up, which is important when you try some of those long field goals. And then to be able to turn right back around and, and put the ball in the end zone, I mean, th those are key plays, especially when you're dealing with years kind of where we are right now where we've had some injuries and might not have the depth that we want uh, at some positions. Well, the, the, the special teams are the ones that kind of somehow kind of get the short straw there, and, and maybe they don't have some of those starters on there. And so those are big plays for us when we can get a touchback and not have to defend every kick. So uh, there's no doubt about it. He's, uh, he's my MVP through the first half of the season uh, on special teams. How about that? And how about Andrew Stokes not having to punt the ball? And this was a good stat dug up by Jim Lauk, actually. First time they hadn't not punted since the Charleston Southern game in 2009. I'm pretty sure that's the Matt Grothy got hurt game. Maybe that's why we don't remember that part of it. But there was a hilarious video, and boy, the football Twitter page has been doing great. I know they've hired some new members of the staff, and Cody Hilburn runs the football media portion now. So they've got a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff. This was Jeff Scott saying, hey, where's Andrew Stokes? Stand up. Good job tonight. <laughs> and he loved it. He had the big smile on his face. Anytime you can give the punter a night off, it's tremendous. Again, if you want to go check out that video, go to at USF Football. But two members of the weekly honor roll were Jaron Bangam Mangum and Spencer Big Leg Schrader. We'll have some clips from the press conference, which we carried live, of course, with Jeff Scott a day earlier than normal. Everything is compressed this week. In fact, we'll sort of play that out for you here but that's coming up in our second segment said there were a couple other sports i wanted to mention baseball has been scrimmaging they just announced that they are going to put on a free scrimmage for the public and that will be november the 7th so again that'll be next sunday and that's at five o'clock so that stands to be a pretty cool day with we're hoping the women's soccer team hosting and playing in the american final which is usually a one o'clock kick perhaps at noon and then again five o'clock sunday november the 7th free admission for the fall scrimmage. And speaking of free admission, I knew this was probably the case, but now we can confirm it to you that the exhibition game for the men's basketball team, which is this coming up Monday at 7 at the Yingling Center, is free. So plan on coming out, and if not, you can hear it on USF Bulls Unlimited. Golf was also in action, and a lot of action on Monday. We'll tell you how they did. They have one more round to play today, actually a full round and the end of their second round and of course more football clips from the press conference stay tuned this is bulls beat hopefully you enjoyed those extended highlights vivian Bissett, by the way also from women's soccer outstanding defensive player that back line of she cheyenne dennis and lucy roberts so great for the bulls we told you nacello was the offensive player of the week Bissett was on the weekly honor roll normally we have the jeff scott press conference on tuesday but with this being a condensed week it all got moved up to monday so we went right from 
press conference live on USF Bulls Unlimited to recording the radio show, and you'll hear a couple clips from both here shortly. We said that the women's golf team is finishing up the fall. They're in South Carolina at the Palmetto Intercollegiate. Darkness suspended the end of a planned full day of 36 holes, but near the end, everybody, and at that point, USF was fourth in a field of 16 North Florida, well ahead, 13 under par. Sam Houston, the highest ranked team in the field at 42nd in the country, was second at 600. Xavier was two under, and the only other team under par was the USF Bulls at one under, led by sophomore Melanie Green, who was tied for seventh, three under par. She shot even par first round of 72 and was three under when play was set to resume early on Tuesday in the second round. Then they'll finish up with the third set of 18 holes in the Bulls. Obviously, probably too far behind to catch the leader. Who knows, though, but still a chance for second place, which would be a fantastic finish to the fall. Bulls were in third place after the first round. They shot a 285. Morgan Baxendale, the Vanderbilt transfer, three birdies on her back nine, two under, along with Ashley Zager sticking around for an extra year and being very valuable at this point. Then you had the even par round for Melanie Green. The fourth counting score on the team was a one over by Anna Maria Bariga. She actually was two under par on her second round. So you had Baxendale actually as the non-counting score. So when you have a player go from top score on the team to not counting, that means you've got a pretty balanced squad. Again, you have five players and the top four scores count for each round. Hopefully the Bulls' final round of the tournament brings them maybe into that second spot and ends up the fall that way. Now, we said there's some good stuff from not just the press conference, from the coaches' show. I loved what Jeff Scott had to say about Antonio Greer here. But is he playing as good from an execution standpoint as he is from a big play standpoint? Yeah, absolutely he is. And uh, he was one of our players of the game on defense this week. And what I told what I told our team is I'm not surprised because, you know, every time that I was around him for, you know, the last day and a half before the game, you know, we're traveling, he's on the bus, and he's got his uh, phone right there, and he's watching the opponent video. And then we get up there, and we're at uh, one of the meals on Friday night, and he's sitting there during the meal while he's eating. He's watching, you know, the Temple video. Then we go to the movie Friday night, and he's sitting right in front of me during the movie, and he's sitting there going through watching Temple video. And so that, that's what I told the team on Sunday whenever he was playing the game. I said, you know, I'm not surprised. This guy is putting in extra time. And that's what you have to do to really be a, a special player. Uh, and you know this, Sam, from, from being a player. you gotta you got to put in a little bit extra. You can't just do the time that everybody does in the meeting room with the coach and go to the field. you got to be willing to do that little bit extra. And, and that's what I've really seen from him. And, and also – we talked about it last week. He's finally healthy, you know, and he, he got banged up early in the year with some tough physical games, right, for some of those teams we were playing. And that was some, some physical matchups. And so I think the open week really helped him probably more than anybody get his body back where he could be full speed and healthy. And I think uh, we've seen uh, what that's led to and, and uh, the success that he's had these last two weeks. I think I mentioned this once a couple months back, but Greer was the one guy when we were doing the photo shoot interviews and I had, you know, you hear these – player liners get dropped in during the course of the week on the channel this is antonio greer you're listening to bulls beat with my main guy Derek sharp that's a good example right there well he was the one that studied his lines just like you heard jeff scott talking about for like two minutes it really impressed me obviously he takes a lot of care in what he does one more from the coaches show and this shows you how jeff scott has that positive attitude 
it is a bear with the quick turnaround, especially if you're the road team for a Thursday night game. But not not to him. It's fun. You know, they're, they're fun. I think, uh, you know, as a coach, you, you like to have a full week to prepare. Uh, but as a player, you're ready to go play. And I think coming off the, the win last week and just the uh, momentum that we have, I, I like the fact that we're going and, and playing on, on Thursday night. And uh, to get an opportunity, you know, for our team and our program to get national exposure on ESPN. And, uh, and that's really what I was talking to our players about. You know, we've been working to improve and to get better. And now that we're really playing the best ball that we've played of the season, uh, now the next step is to go on the road and get a good road victory. They did discuss the quarterbacks on the show, of course. You can catch full replays of the hour. Michael Kelly and Matthew Hill also joined Jim and Sam. Go to our Twitter page, at Bulls Unlimited, for all those air times. But at his press conference, naturally, he was asked about the Timmy McLean injury and what would happen if he doesn't get to play. You know, I, I expect Timmy to be able to do some things today at practice. Exactly how much he can do, I don't know yet. Um, you know, the good thing about having evening practices is the guys can get several, uh, you know, uh, rehab, uh, you know, treatments in. Um, I, my expectation is it's probably going to be decided sometime Thursday uh, just to kind of see how the ankle uh, heals up. We're confident in the way that both uh, Trey and Cade uh, Fortin uh, have practiced, uh, and that's why it was a great opportunity whenever uh, Timmy had uh, the sprained ankle there before half. Uh, it was a great opportunity to, to let those guys go, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Temple went and scored and made it a, a one-score game right there before those guys even went out in the field. So the game was definitely, uh, you know, still being played right there. And, and for Trey to go in, I, I thought he executed, moved the ball, and, and did what he needed to, do, needed to do, made some nice throws. We were uh, really close on one of the deep balls there. Um, yeah, I thought that was good. And then I thought Cade came in in the fourth quarter and was able to, to lead and drive us as well. So um, I think the good situation for us is uh, you know if something were to happen uh, this week or down the road with Timmy, uh, I think we feel very confident in both uh, Trey and Cade uh, by the way that they've practiced and, and what we get to see out of them every day. And, and uh, mentally, uh, they've been preparing themselves uh, to play. So we'll, uh, we'll kind of find out how it goes this week. There's probably a lot of different options that could happen uh, between now and Thursday. But ultimately, it's going to be uh, about kind of where um, where Timmy is uh, come Thursday night. And, of course, the Chris Carter play was a big topic with everybody, including both of the student-athletes. First, Donovan Jennings and then Rashawn Yates. Both were on the field for that play, and how important it was. I turn around, everybody's running, and I see Chris Carter. He's kind of by me, and I just see him take off, and I'm like, okay, okay, he might get him. Okay, he might get him. And he actually catches him. I'm like, yeah, sir. Like, he caught him. So, you know, we were all energized, and we were happy from that play. You know, I'm pretty sure that gave our defense some juice as well because, you know, it stopped them from scoring. So I think the whole team was just exciting. Yeah, I think it gave everybody juice, especially to have an interception. That was big. So I think, yeah, definitely um, give him good energy just to uh, finish the whole game. I was a little confused because the guy I was blocking, he ran at me and then stopped. And he just kept watching and staying there. So I was confused on what happened. I didn't even know the ball flew until I was looking. He's like, he's just standing there. And then the ball, I looked back and then everybody was running. I was far away. I started to run, but then I was like, it was really, by the time I really got to pick up speed a little bit, it was right when Chris tackled him. Cause I thought, I really thought he was gonna score. Cause I couldn't, it was that far down the field. I was like, okay, he's right there. And then Chris tackled him. I was like, okay, good. I actually had, a, I, I really thought we were gonna stop him. I knew we were gonna stop him. As soon as they got stopped there, I knew they weren't gonna score. On tomorrow's show, we'll give you more from both gentlemen talking about, well, their respective lines. But that's all the time we have for this Bulls Beat on a Tuesday. Thanks for listening. I'm Derek Sharp.